I'm your host, Robin B. And I'm Willa Rowe. And we're rusty again this week <laughs> because we took another break. To be fair, it wasn't like a vacation. You were doing a lot of stuff. So yeah, I'm you way, might honestly be more tired yes, than we I'm left. Way rustier than I was the last time we had took a break. Because mm-hmm. that time I just went to a cabin with my friends and did drugs in the woods. And this time I spent the week putting all of my belongings into a box and then putting those boxes into a truck and then taking that truck to a different box and then putting all my boxes from the box truck into the box that is my apartment. So I'm tired and sweaty. And um, yeah, and now I'm just we got to talk sweaty. about That's video games with me. And now Your we can talk person. about video games. <laughs> How have you been this these these two weeks that we've been cruelly separated by fate, Willa? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've been good. I've been playing a lot of video games, honestly, probably more than I've been playing the last like several months. Wish that was me. <laughs> I've been playing no video games. All I've been I've been playing like gotcha games on my phone. Just yeah, because that was got the a, only... You've got to log into Honkai every yes. day so that you can get your Stellar Jade. Because yeah. Kafka. Because that's the only thing I have here. access to. I mm-hmm. don't have anything. I, until last night, I finally hooked up because I needed to have a computer to record this right now. So mm-hmm. I got to play something that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But uh, first, when we were... When, when you were off uh, doing your moving, there was a bunch of news that we actually care about. I know. Yeah. I texted you like, well, I was at work because I, so I was at work when FanFest was happening Mm -hmm. and my first, um, like the first things I saw from it was actually just like Hayes posting pictures of what they were sharing. Of like the keynote. Yeah. Um, cause he, uh, Hayes Madsen, our, my former, your current coworker, um, was at FanFest and then showing a lot that was going on there. So that was how I got my news uh, mm-hmm. until like it was that stuff was like officially released. Um, but I was texting you like, I can't believe this is the week we have to take off because it's like I know. the most we've cared about news basically since we started recording the show. <laughs> but yeah, so even though it's a week late now, we've uh, we're going to talk about FanFest because mm-hmm. we care about it. And if you already know everything we're going to say, uh it's fine. You can just listen to us say it again. Yeah. So the big thing of FanFest is that they revealed 7.0. Yeah. Uh, Dawn Trail. What do you feel about that name? In I the don't list like it. of in the list of Final Fantasy 14 expansion names, I think it's fine. Okay. Let's 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 do a tier list of Final Shadowbringers number one. Yes. Shadow it's the best name. Number one, and then Stormblood, and then. I think Heaven's Word. I don't really love Endwalker as a name, honestly. I don't like Heaven's Word or Endwalker that much. Okay. I will say I think Dawn Trail kind of goes at the bottom. Yes. Stormblood's a pretty bitchin' name. Stormblood's incredible. I'm going to name yeah. my cat Stormblood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so 7.0 has been announced with a snazzy trailer. And it's really interesting because, like, the whole thing of Endwalker is that it basically ended what they've kind of, like, now dubbed the Zodiac Heidelin, like, saga. Yeah. Um, which is basically literally everything that the whole MMO has been about since, mm-hmm. you know, 2.0. And so it's kind of like a new start. Yeah. Which is a little weird. And it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that generally, like not even the the content of what was revealed, but like how are you how do you feel about like just there being a new expansion? Because it feels very different now because of that. It's like mm-hmm. every expansion to this point has been building on this one story and then it came to like an extremely climactic ending yeah i don't know for me that just does seem to be a very different vibe where every expansion to this point i was like ah it's continuing the story let's see what happens next and like how this goes and this one is just like i feel hmm i don't i can't i don't know if i feel like more any like more or less excited it's just a very different feeling of like what is what are we doing now like what's how are these going to work right is it starting a new story is like each one of these going to be its own thing like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of possibilities there and i think that's like could be a good or bad thing depending on how it goes yeah it's it's intriguing and like the way that yoshi p described it during the keynote was he said it's a summer vacation for players yes which i think i think there's the potential that that could be good like i like the idea behind that because for a game like Final Fantasy XIV, which is like, it's an MMO, you're supposed to be playing it kind of constantly for like, at this point, a decade, mm-hmm. just like hopping in and out, doing all this stuff. And it's a game that takes hundreds of hours to beat. And it's especially for the last two expansions with Shadowbringers and Endwalker, not only has it been like, you know, a hundred more hours, but it's also been so emotionally testing because it's it's so intense, like the way all of these things are coming to a climactic finale and the stories are just like so sad a lot of the times or just full of emotion. And it's kind of nice after basically like four years of that to like have the idea of maybe we can just chill a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because it's like. For this one, you're going to come back again for the next expansion, probably. So in the meantime, let's just lower the stakes a little bit. Let's lean into some fun stuff and literally send you to the like a new tropical area. Which is cool. It's like it's a beach episode, which yeah. is like such a good way to do that. I hope it I hope it turns out well and they lean like really into the vacation stuff for the player. Yeah, I kind of feel like they won't. <laughs> yeah, it's. So I was thinking about this. It's really, really interesting. I think that the expansion or the like, I think the thing that Dawn Trail is going to end up being the closest to for a lot of reasons is A Realm Reborn, which Mm. isn't really a good thing because A Realm Reborn kind of sucks. Um, (laughs) But it's because like, it's going to be really, it's going to be low stakes in the manner that you're not going to be able to really come to a big conclusion of something. So somewhat it's going to feel kind of pointless. But I feel like A Realm Reborn sucks for reasons that they have like addressed at this point. Like they've learned a lot since A Realm Reborn. So even if the story Mm -hmm. is low stakes and like it doesn't, you know, really come to an ending, it's not going to be full of the things that made A Realm Reborn extremely annoying. Yeah. I like the idea that they just start making expansions kind of like their own little contained story. I think that would be really neat. Like each expansion is basically like an adventure of the Scions and then they just kind Mm -hmm. of wrap it up and they're like, okay, on to the next thing. I think that could be cool if we started doing that. I legitimately don't think they're ever going to be able to like do what they've done in the past decade again. And they just need to kind of like do something else. 
I think that's asking a lot of the developers and the players to be like, okay, and now we're going to just embark on another one of these like decade long story arcs. It's like the MCU. The MCU worked in part for the first like big for like the Infinity Stone saga because it was this huge buildup over long years to this final climactic thing. And now that that has ended and they're like, wait, we're going to do it again with Kang. And they've been built. They're trying to build up to that for the past few years. But it's like it's all garbage at this point. Nobody wants to do it anymore. I would say this is fully off track. I would say (laughs) that the the first arc of that was basically getting up to the Avengers. Where it was like all these individual stories and then that. And like I basically lost interest after that point. (laughs) Okay, Um, well. Which, yeah, I mean, that that makes me concerned, like the idea that they would just like, let's let's do it again. I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like they are. I was going to say the like each expansion being like just a different adventures of the Scions, like feels like the World of Warcraft model mm-hmm. more where each of those were pretty like self-contained storylines, which worked really well for the first few. And then they just got bad. But Again, I think that's something that like Square Enix could avoid. It's not like inherent that it has to be annoying. As much as I like the idea of a summer vacation, I think that the what they've actually said, though, about the story doesn't make me think that that's going to be the vibe of it. Not at all. And in a lot of ways, the story that the, what they have talked about the story, I'm kind of like, I don't yeah, know let's, about this. Let's get into the specifics of it. Because yeah. that's, I think this what they have shown of the story is the thing is that the makes me the most like, part of this expansion. Ooh, I don't know about this. So basically the story is in very like, you know, short form, someone from this like far away tropical location comes to you knowing your like reputation as a person who saved the universe and is like, "Hey, my there's like the kingdom that I live in is going through like a succession crisis basically. Mm-hmm. There's going to be this big contest to assert, determine who rules us now." And we want your help. And there's a couple of things that are concerning about that on its face. One is the place you're going is called the New World. And it very much looks like they are indulging in like some pretty basic colonialist fantasies with really no consideration of what that really means i mean yeah the depiction of the like area is it's very south american inspired yes. the majority of the residents as far as we know are some variation of like beast tribe species mm-hmm. they talk about them as being like less developed because the area is not industrialized it's a little whack they literally have um there's going to be the a city of gold yeah uh, all of that is just <laughs> really concerning Mm -hmm. especially like given the track record of square enix like we've talked about this before like even though we both love 14 like it has absolutely stepped in it before like the alamigo Mm -hmm. storyline stuff was like really fucked up (laughs) of you like suppressing a revolution like there's a lot of they have they've done a lot of stuff that's like extremely questionable and like even most like more recently with final fantasy 16 which has been like terrible about it Yes, but I don't know how much like crossover there there is, you know, uh, there. But I guess to be fair, like I don't know how much crossover there is with the team that's working on this and the team that was working on the game back then, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, but yeah, it doesn't seem like they are like handling this well at all. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, I think a big cause for concern. It's a little disappointing because I think 
an interesting way to go into a new like the the a new age of Final Fantasy 14 is up until this point the warrior of light has pretty much been that they're a warrior they've been like a soldier this whole time like mm-hmm. everything they're doing has been for like this big conflict whether it's you know versus you know the empire or the Asians or it's 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 some kind of war and i like the concept of the scions no longer kind of being a group that has to deal with these high stakes things. And now they're more of like an exploratory like group and they just like go to explore and see new mm-hmm. places. The issue is, is that that is itself linked to a lot of colonial ideas. And then yes. by feeding into it so hard with this very like this inherently colonial storyline that feels like, I mean, obviously it's not out, so we don't know, but it's like, Based on the track record, it feels like they're not going to engage with it, which is a problem. Um, yes. It's disappointing because I like the idea of seeing the Warrior of Light and the Scions in a different like type of mission. Totally. Mm-hmm. And like an unfamiliar place. I think another thing that makes this feel like a particularly bad way to go about it is that you are like called upon because this person knows of your, mm-hmm. you know, your history or whatever. And so it... it does feel very much like a white savior type of narrative like even though you're you know playing a bunny girl or whatever like so white is maybe not like the word there but it's the same idea of like Mm -hmm. you are this person from a more quote-unquote like civilized place Mm -hmm. uh and you have like they they, these people could not possibly solve their own problems on their own they need this outsider to come and like tell them how to live their lives and yeah that like inherently sucks like they know that we have a successful track record of meddling in um in other states affairs and yeah, choosing exactly. political outcomes so they're like we yeah. gotta get this person in on it yes whereas like i would much rather see like we you know go to this new place and get embroiled in some scenario that is like beyond our ability mm-hmm. to deal with right it's it's a new a new culture it's new problems it's issues that like this the warrior of light isn't like uniquely equipped to handle like i would rather see us be like out of our depth and like not Mm -hmm. knowing what to do and needing to like climb our way up into like whatever some you know this conflict would be or whatever but the fact that like we are going there to solve the problems of another group of people just it does like it it very much feeds into all of those pretty negative fantasies yeah on top of like the story stuff in the new expansion though there's been like other things that were talked about I mean, one of the big things that like we've known about for a while, but they showed off in detail that I think is very exciting is the graphical update. Yes. This is something I'm very excited about. Yeah. Because it's a 10 year old game and it's like it's been needing it. Yes. And they showed off like a lot of um, character models Mm -hmm. and uh, environment stuff. The one that really got me that I thought looked great was they showed off a comparison between... um, God, what is it that Shadowbringers location where it's all the flowers? It's like the fairy place. Oh, yeah. The Eel Meg. Yeah, Eel Meg. They showed off a a shot of that comparing the current one to the graphical update. And like the graphical update is just like so much more vibrant. I think this will be really nice and it'll maybe make me stop using mods. (laughs) Yeah. G-Shade is is dead now. Which is dead. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we won't even need a replacement at this point. I'm sure we will. But yeah, it's it's the graphical update is something they've been talking about for a while. And I was never like that excited. I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, it'll be nice to have like a little more some of the rough edges taken off or whatever. But then once they actually showed it at 
FanFest, I was like, oh, that actually is really significant. Like they when they were showing the like, you know, side by sides of like old characters and new characters, we're going to be even hotter than we were before. Like <laughs> it's like very subtle changes, but like the, the like their faces just look much better. And, and even like the, the detail they showed on like armor and stuff was like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it it feels pretty subtle, but everything just looks significantly better. That I think it's very funny that they were saying like, oh, you know, this will be an incremental process, though. So there will be a point when 7.0 comes out that like everything that's new will look really, really nice. Uh-huh. And then you'll travel to like Gridania or something. and It'll just look like ass. I can't wait until like when they're like updating the old stuff, there will be a point mm-hmm. where there's like one NPC in some town <laughs> that looks like shit and everything else is updated. Mm-hmm. There'll be the new square grapes. Yeah. That everyone will be very excited about. Since we are Viera players, this is something though that I still constantly think about. And I think mm-hmm. it's ridiculous that literally I think that the final fantasy four team has 14 team has just ignored it and they will refuse to acknowledge it ever is that they just refuse to ever fix the Viera hair. Yeah. Or the, um, uh, who like are the, the helmet clipping? Yeah, the helmet clipping stuff. and stuff. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous, and it really pisses me off. It really does. There's so much good headgear that I'm like, I can just never wear this. Yeah. This is, well, I mean, I can't. We, 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 we can. There's there's mods for that. If you if hypothetically you were to look up mods for Final Fantasy 14, right, you would find you some. Speaking of which, another new thing they're adding. They call it the strategy board or whatever. Oh, yeah. This looked really cool yeah. um, for people who do like actual high end content. Final Fantasy 14 or Square Enix has always been really weird about mods in 14, even when they're not giving you any kind of advantage or whatever. And a lot of the mods that people use are like ones for raiders, like to DPS parsers are like kind of the most common one. But there's a lot of them that will like let you do stuff like this. And yeah, so they're introducing a feature that's like basically like a whiteboard kind of thing where you can like playing out with your your fc like where you're gonna go in different raids and stuff which is so helpful um, for people who like don't do this a lot and want to learn because it's going to be so helpful to like actually teach people visually like here's what you have to do you don't have to open up this like google doc that someone made that is like super complicated i really hope that like people take advantage of this i think for party finder too it's going to be really helpful yes because when you have like random people joining these like this high-end stuff together it can be really complicated to try to work it out whereas like if you're running with like you know if you have a static or if you have an fc or whatever every group has their own like language at this point and we're also used to like what do all these weird markers mean and what and just like using call outs and stuff i kind of i think maybe for new content it'll still be helpful there as Mm -hmm. as we're like working stuff out but i feel like groups who are like really into this kind of have worked around it so long i sort of wonder if they're going to jump to this more efficient and useful tool or they'll just keep using the things that they know uh for people who are just coming into it or for like you know kind of random groups like it does seem extremely helpful (laughs) i think it'll very much depend on how like actually helpful it is and like what kind of utility it has yeah for sure um but i think it's like a great addition and i like i want them to make more additions like that that feel very much like they're actually addressing things players have come up with and like want totally um because i usually find that like mods or tools that players create have a reason and you know the development team should like think about that Mm -hmm. there are a couple other 
important updates that they talked about also that are much more interesting to me because they're all cosmetic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the important stuff. Yeah, the important end game (laughs) updates. I think this is really funny. One of the announcements they made is that all gear, you're going to be able to have two dies on them now. And when they announced this, it got like the biggest cheer from the crowd. Yeah. Because, yeah, in like the videos from the thing, you could hear cheers for like all these different announcements. And then when they show this, like a second gear slot, it's just like this roar goes up mm-hmm. in the crowd. It was so like, it's so funny to see like where everybody's priorities are. I've always wanted this though. It is so, so it's, exciting. It's so exciting to just be able to like, ugh, I cannot wait yeah. to make everything I wear so pretty. Pride parades are going to be. Oh, fucking lit next year absolutely. when everyone's able to like make their outfits that's gonna be so good the other one that i'm excited about is they uh they are now going to make it so that there's an extra gear slot for eyewear oh yeah but yeah. it's it's like it's gonna be a gear slot but it's gonna be purely cosmetic so it's not mm-hmm. gonna change like stats but now um you can wear eyewear separately to actual headgear, which means I'm just gonna make my astrologian Viera look so she's gonna look like a like a mean librarian. Yeah, there's a lot of like cute glasses <laughs> as gear sets, but it's like kind of unfortunate that she can't wear them with, you know, your cute librarian mm-hmm. hat, for instance. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that's yes. Very exciting. Another one of the things that is coming in 7.0 that we actually didn't talk about is because they they only teased it. There's going to be two new jobs, and they're both. Co- so what we know about them is that they're both going to be DPS. There's going to be a magical ranged, and then a like a, a physical melee. I feel like we kind of know what they are though at this point. Like uh, the theories Do that you? I've seen, the theories that I've seen, I feel like are pretty pretty okay. spot on. You've had more time to do mm-hmm. like lore diving, Some diving on this so i'm actually yeah. really excited I'm, okay I'm let me tell you about this the first one i think is the obvious one which is the melee one it's obviously got to be like buccaneer or pirate or whatever they're gonna call it essentially like that archetype and the, they might call it something weird but that's what it's gonna be i think that like the obvious reason for this is that first off this is a very like tropical piratey kind of inspired expansion so it makes sense Mm -hmm. the opening shot of the trailer for dawn trail is um the scions are like on a ship and you see meteor and he's in his new outfit and he's wearing like a pirate outfit and he's got his you know 2000s pirates of the caribbean haircut (laughs) yes um and the best part of it is they do this wide shot where they pull out of the ship and his hand is just resting like at his hip on a weapon but the weapon has been removed like the model for it because they don't want to show what the weapon for the new job is but it's Uh surely like i didn't even notice that it's surely like a cutlass and Mm -hmm. he'll have like a musket too i feel like that's the obvious like the obvious choice and there have been these kind of job classes in past Final Fantasy games. But the second one is the thing that I'm more interested by and has a weirder theory, which is the way that Yoshida teased it is he talked about the new jobs coming. And then he did that thing where it's like, the you know, the stupid video game press conference reveal thing where he like was like, oh, I'm getting hot. And he like unbuttoned this like button up that he had and he took it yes. off. And there was like there was a T-shirt that he had on and it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. To which everybody was so confused by it and they started memeing the shit out of like it's, very it's Ninja too. <laughs> right, exactly. Because there's already a ninja class. Mm-hmm. 
So you think that this is actually the ranged class? Yes. I think the, the one that he's teasing with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is the magical range class. And here's why. Hayes kind of like introduced me to this theory. Okay. And I sort of like it um, with some caveats. But the like the galaxy brain thought that you have to do on this theory is we have to like parse what the shirt means. Obviously, at first you're like, is the job teenager? Of course. <laughs> of course. You ride a skateboard. Yeah. No, but pizza. like... The, the obvious first thought is these are ninjas, but we have that class, so it has right. to be something else. What could this shirt be hinting at? Turtle. Well, no. What are all of their names? Oh, 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 okay. I think I have y seen this. Yeah. So they're all named after, like, Renaissance artists and painters. The theory is, is that the ranged class is going to be some kind of, like, painter, Yes. Which, and Hayes was talking about this and he wrote about this when he did like a theory about what the jobs are. He thinks it's going to be pictologist, hmm. which is um, what one of the party members in Final Fantasy VI is. Okay. And it's sort of, my only thing with that is it's sort of blue mage-ish almost. And it's about like you basically draw the enemy and then you can like utilize skills like that. And so I have some caveats to the theory. I think this will just be like painter or something or artist because there's something that they said during Endwalker interviews where somebody was like asking them about the new jobs for Endwalker which is Reaper and Sage mm -hmm. and they were like I'm very curious about these new jobs and like do you find it hard to come up with new jobs for each new expansion and like do you look at the catalog of jobs that have been in past games and start pulling from them and one of the things they said was like, well, Sage is like our first original class or job for Final Fantasy 14. Like it's not based the the name Sage is right. pulled, but the actual like what the job does is completely original. I forget who it was, but somebody in the interviews was like, going forward, I feel like we want to start coming up with our own stuff and stop pulling from the past as much. So I think, I feel like the magical range has to be kind of like a new thing. So I yeah. think they're going to put their own spin on like this idea of a ranged painter class, um, whatever that means. But I think it could be like really interesting. But I, I, I kind of get the sense that those are the two jobs, like a buccaneer yeah. and a painter. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember seeing people talking about painter and not like reading into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an interesting idea. Like, I could kind of picture it being more of, like, a like a debuffer class. Yeah. I don't know why, but that just makes sense to me. <laughs> I really like the idea, too, because that would mean their weapon is, like, a paintbrush. Yeah. And that'd be so cool. Yes, that would be cool. I could imagine their gear would be awesome. Yes. The other thing I'm thinking of is almost, like, closer to the original idea of, like, the Arcanist, where it was, like, about, like, drawing, you know... These like kind of geometric shapes in these books that like kind of correspond to magic. I could see them doing some kind of like calligraphy almost uh, like to like cast their spells or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to think at this point, like they have so many jobs already. Like, how do they differentiate them? And I think that's more than any like specifics of these. Like really what I want to see is them just like trying a just a very different thing. Which would be hard to fit in. But like I think that's where the idea of like a debuffing or buffing kind of class would come in. 
like the classes I really like the most are like dancer and bard and things like that that are about like empowering the party. So it would be cool to see one that's also about like making the enemies more vulnerable as well. Those sort of like combination like support and DPS classes are really appealing to me. And then like the pirate class, there is so Final Fantasy XI actually has like a corsair, yes. which has a combination of melee and ranged, um, which makes a lot of sense. You know, pirates typically will, you know, you see picture them having like a little pistol and like a cutlass or whatever. I think that could be interesting, like combining some ranged with with melee or I'm trying to think maybe it is the Corsair. There's a a class I'm thinking of in some game where it's uh, they have like a pirate themed class that's also kind of luck based. That would be a really interesting mechanic. It could almost be like um, almost like Astrologen. Astrologen, you have to like pull cards and yeah. stuff, and or also and like place them on the right people. Is somewhat similar too, because it, mm-hmm. it revolves a lot on RNG. But yeah, I think I think the Astrologen is a, is, a, is a closer one of like it could be like dice. You have to roll yeah, your dice. Exactly. I think yeah, I think that's the idea. I can't remember what this game mm-hmm. is, but I think that's the idea there too. Mm-hmm. Of like you can depending on what you know cards or dice or whatever mm-hmm. it is you draw, you can like use different attacks or they have different potencies or whatever. I really like jobs like that, um, especially I think as an MMO is like so much further into its life, because one of the reasons that I do Astrologen now is that I played White Mage forever just to like m- go through all the main story. And that was just like all I did. Yeah. But like once I kind of reached end game content and I was like, oh, I I've never really cared about White Mage because it's just very simple when it really comes down to it. And so now it's way more fun to play Astrologen because I think it takes more actual like active thought because I don't just have to like watch bars and heal and just, you know, make sure to DPS also. But it's like, oh, I have to like pay attention to like what's coming up when I'm like drawing cards and making sure I know like I'm placing it on the correct person and like doing all this stuff. It's much more active and i love jobs that have an element of that so i think that'd Mm -hmm. be really fun to have like a luck-based job or something yeah and i think that's what gives them a lot of leeway to make these new jobs weird because like every expansion they introduce a new job and you have to be a higher level to Mm -hmm. play them you know everyone's going to start out as a more basic you know a dragoon or a white mage or a paladin or whatever and by the time you get to this content i feel like there's so much more room to play with weird things that like wouldn't work at lower levels or like wouldn't work for solo content and worry less about like balancing them in that way and more about like how do we give players who've gotten this far like a new way to interact with things i don't know i like the idea of of introducing classes like that where it's not concerned about like is this going to be as powerful of a class as as everything else and more just like what's a new way we can have people interact Mm -hmm. which is a tough thing to do in an mmo and like something i don't know if they would even ever attempt but it's i don't know it's exciting to think that's a possibility yeah other announcements from this oh one of the one of the weirdest announcements that they did was for 6.5 they're doing a collaboration with Fall Guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is very fun. I was messaging you as I was watching. Uh-huh. And the first thing that they announced was just it was like a trailer for Fall Guys. And they were like, we're bringing Final Fantasy 14 like outfits to Fall Guys. And I was like, I don't care. This is so stupid. And they're like, yes. but wait, the collaboration goes both ways. And they're basically basically going to bring a Fall Guys game mode to the Golden Saucer. And I immediately changed my tune and I was like, this is the best fucking thing that's ever come to this game. 
It looks very fun. It just reminds me of those uh, special events that have happened every once in a while where it's like the yes. tower climbs. The, which are nightmares. I can never <laughs> do those. The other thing that got me like really excited, though, was another very vague mention of more like what they called lifestyle content, mm-hmm. which is like, I think they kind of referred to the island sanctuary as like an idea of what this could be, where it's about like not tied to the main story, not tied to battle or even like crafting in the the way that it is in the main game but just like other sort of like social casual activities which who knows what those will be but i think that stuff is really exciting it's it's you know like the this the joke that's actually true that fashion is the end game i think once you get to a certain point in this game it becomes more about like hanging out with people in game than like doing with the new content or whatever so i think it's i'll be really excited to see what this new stuff is i think especially because like in that idea of the game is kind of ha- has to change now and it's like in a new era, like leaning yeah. into the idea of like, this is also just a space to like hang out and vibe and do other things. Like yeah. adding more content for that, I think is a really good idea. Yeah. And I think especially if they are going to remain firm in their conviction to never fix housing, like it would be good <laughs> to have things that also fill a similar role, you know? of giving you like your space something to customize something to do with friends like whatever form that takes is like i'll be interested to see what it is at mm-hmm. least and i think that's it yeah okay um oh no there was there was one more big announcement uh which was that well two more so one is that the free trial is being expanded to include stormblood yes. So everybody update the your meme text about the <laughs> the free trial and finally they also announced that final fantasy 14 is coming to xbox which they did in like the most (laughs) painfully awkward 15 minutes i've ever seen in one of these presentations like watching phil so they introduced phil spencer to give this news and watching him do the like game ceo on stage like there's a very specific like tone and mm. cadence that that's always delivered in and watching him clearly read all of this stuff off of a teleprompter with Yoshi P next to him being actually like charismatic and excited about this stuff was so painful and so, so funny to watch. Like I could not stop laughing. And then he didn't know how to stand there. And yeah, it was I saw the meme that somebody was like, uh, Phil Spencer at this at this keynote looks like um, you when your mom is talking to a friend and you don't know what to do. Because <laughs> he's just it's sitting exactly there so awkwardly is. and it's terrible. And yeah, just you're so right. smiling. Yeah. And he's just like he's doing that thing where it's like we at Xbox love yes. gamers and we know you do, too. So we're so excited. <laughs> like, oh, my God, yes. Phil, shut the fuck up. It's like, please it let this man so off stage. Funny. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was just such a an incredible contrast to see him next to Yoshi P, who is like so good at this exact mm-hmm. thing. God, I I I loved it. I love that like after all the stuff that happened during this keynote that was like very exciting for fans and very fun, they basically ended on that note. <laughs> yes. Of everyone just being like, Well, that's that's cool. Thanks for showing up. I did up, see Phil. the other thing I saw someone on someone on Twitter was posting, you know, like retweet the link or whatever. Just with a comment like, finally, you can play Final Fantasy XIV with your straight friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're finally getting Which some more fun. people to play the game. But yeah, I think that's like pretty much the the mm-hmm. news like uh, from, from FanFest. Some exciting stuff, some don't care stuff, some concerning stuff. It did like, 
I spent so much time thinking about Final Fantasy 14 and then seeing like people's new fan art that I was immediately like, I need to get back into this game. I know, so same. I guess it like did what it's supposed to do. But yeah, there's there's some exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that I've been up to this week since you've been moving and stuff, uh, although I know you you've touched on this a little bit now in preparation for us to talk about it, is uh, mm-hmm. Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate 3 has come out. Yeah, it's and... the biggest game in the fucking world all of a sudden. I know. It was the the like second like highest played game on yeah. Steam, which is wild for a. I mean, again, you know, there is multiplayer, mm. but a essentially single player RPG. Yeah. So yeah, Baldur's Gate three came out. Um, I've been playing it. It's the new D and D RPG from Larian Studios, who they are known for doing Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin two. So like Baldur's Gate itself is kind of an interesting series where Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were developed at the end of like the 90s by Bioware before they made Dragon Age and Mass Effect and blah, 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 blah. They're often seen as like some of the best games ever, some of like the best RPGs ever, especially 2. And then they stopped making them. uh, And for the longest time, nobody was really making them. And Larian, after... Being one of the main studios who's who kind of like brought back the, you know, traditional RPG into vogue with Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, they got the license to make a Baldur's Gate 3. So I've never actually like really played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I own them and I've tried and then I just gave up. Yeah, I I have played both of them, but not Mm -hmm. enough that I would confidently say I know Mm -hmm. literally anything about them. Like I played a little bit of them. They both seem interesting, but I played them both like after their heyday. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that like they are very different games from Baldur's Gate 3. Like they popularized this style that's called like real time with pause combat, which is where everything plays out in real time. You you can you know, you're giving commands to all your different party members, but but it's not turn based. Like Mm -hmm. everything is just happening as it happens. But you can pause at any time to issue commands. Um, So if you played pillars of eternity either of those games uh or like tyranny that you know games of that kind of lineage they actually do follow the gameplay of those things and they're much easier to get into than trying to go back into Baldur's gate at this point whereas Baldur's gate 3 is fully turn-based like the divinity original sin mm-hmm. games were so i've been playing i think i've i mean obviously played more than you of Baldur's gate 3 I think I've played about six hours of it now. Um, the other day I got off of work and I opened up Baldur's Gate 3 to play some of it. And then I like looked up and it had been three hours. Yeah. So I did play about five hours of it in early access, like mm-hmm. a long time, you know, whenever ago. But at least like two of that was in the character creator. So I, I don't know how much of the game I actually mm-hmm. saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about the character creator. Because this is a fu- this is the best part of the fucking game. This character creator is so good. <laughs> it's interesting how good of a character creator it is because it doesn't do the thing that so many do where it's like change jaw width by 0.2% and like it doesn't really let you tweak things to that extent. But I think what it does is have like a lot of meaningful and good choices mm-hmm. where like instead of giving you 17 different types of eyes that look slightly different like there's just some very specific things you can change that that make a big difference in your character. 
Yeah. And um, like, that's the thing. I get really stressed out by character creators like um, Same. Elden Ring. That character creator stressed me the hell out. Yeah. Same with Street Fighter 6. Did you ever play Neo 2? No. That one has one of those very fiddly whatever character creators, but it's actually really fun for whatever reason. I really I think mm. it's because you can make a really hot samurai lady. But that one, I, I think, was like maybe my favorite character creator ever with that style but yeah this is a very different one like because because i kind of feel the same way too like i will spend like 10 minutes fiddling with those sliders and that type of creator and they'll just be like fuck it this is too much like i'm just going to choose my hair and then leave because that's what i care about Mm -hmm. um but i still somehow spent like nearly an hour in the character creator fiddling around but i ended up making my perfect like hot butch tiefling um i sent you a picture of my tiefling just like everybody yeah Everybody only makes tieflings in this game, which is correct. Yeah. They're the yes. correct choice. Tieflings are the best. We were talking about this earlier. Like, I've seen like dozens of people on Twitter share their characters, and they are ninety nine percent tieflings, mm-hmm. as they should be. It's because all the homosexuals are playing the game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to talk about the best part about the character creator. Yeah, the most, uh, the part that I was most taken aback by at like eleven thirty last night when I was making my character all the genitals all the genitals the vaginas Uh, and the penises yeah so this is not the first game to do this Mm -hmm. like uh, i remember there was a big fuss when cyberpunk lets you pick your genitals this has always seemed like a really stupid and kind of i don't know almost like like when cyberpunk did it it seemed like kind of an edgelordy thing to do Mm -hmm. just to be like we want to show you dicks and like it'll be funny and, I, you know, there's there's a couple of the games that have had something like this and I just ignore it. Like, it doesn't matter because, like, when are you going to see, like, your character's junk? But I will say, in this one, getting to make my, like, cool trans tiefling and just give her a big old dick at the end of the process, I was like, actually, okay, I get this. I felt very like, empowered. Is, yeah, exactly. Like, I, like I, I have always kind of rolled my eyes at them before, but then it's just like, I don't know. For whatever reason, with this one, I was just like, I don't know. There, there was something about it that was like, oh, yeah, I feel represented by this. I think also for me, it's the fact that like this game actually puts a lot of importance on like sex and relationships and romance. Yeah, that's um, true. there's a lot of it in this game and mm-hmm. a lot of options for it. I think as Final Fantasy 16 proved for me, uh, sex is like one of the most difficult things for games to actually do well or interesting and i've only like touched the surface of this stuff in Baldur's Gate 3 so far but romance seems really deep and like interesting sex seems really cool there's and they have a lot of like variations of it there's a lot of funny sex but there's a lot of like uh-huh. intimate sex like famously I'm just clip you saying sex seems really cool sex does seem really cool <laughs> I've heard so much about it. Yeah. So have you? You you probably haven't played enough to like get to any of that stuff so, yet, though. Okay. So have I you? haven't had a like I haven't had a sex scene with one of my companions yet. But there is like the, there's a thing that you can do very early on that people have um, shared a lot where you can encounter two characters in the world like having sex, okay, and accidentally interrupt them. <laughs> And it leads to a very <laughs> funny interaction. Okay. 
mostly for me so far, what it's been doing, like what it's been is I've been building relationships with my companions, especially Shadowheart, because Shadowheart. I was going to ask you. Shadowheart yes. has my heart. Yes. <laughs> um, so mostly I've just been like having a lot of conversations with her and like building a, like a trust and relationship. Like recently she talked to me, she was like, I really like, I appreciate everything you've done for me. And like, I want to get to know you more and I'll like tell you about myself. And I was like, yes, thank you, Shadowheart. Yeah, Absolutely. Come over. Yeah. Let's go to camp and talk. <laughs> um, I mean, the characters in this game are really neat. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I really love it, um, about how Larian games in general really translate the vibe of a tabletop game to a video game really, really well. The characters are really deep. There's so much choice that I really do feel mm -hmm. like, you know, everything that you do, be it combat or exploration or just how you say things really has a meaningful impact on how the world changes around you that I think is incredible. I am a bard. My main character is a bard. So I put a lot of points into like charisma and performance because the way I like to play games like this is I love being able to talk my way out of any situation mm -hmm. or into areas that I'm not supposed to be in. Yes. And there's something so satisfying with Baldur's Gate 3 of they really like they amp up the vibe of playing a D&D &D game because every time you go through like a conversation that has important moments or anytime you like try to do something that's difficult, they'll little literally have you do like a skill check and you have to click the dice to make the dice roll. Yeah, and it's like, it's fun. Yeah, it's so fun and satisfying. And it's been really awesome to be able to like go through situations lately. Um, like I had to talk my way. There, there's a early mission where they're like, hey, you could go try to find this goblin camp. And there's a lot of things happening in there that you might need to stop or you need to go see some people. And they're like, you can fight your way in. You can, you know, sneak your way in. And I just went up to the like front gate and a guard was like, hey, you cannot be here. And I just was like, oh, no, I have an appointment, basically. And they're like, roll a skill <laughs> check. That's a 15. You have to pass a 15. But because of the way I've rolled my character, I naturally have a plus 11 on charisma checks. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's like. I have been able to talk my way out of nearly everything that I've encountered so far. Yeah. And I'm awesome. still only like level three. It's absurd. Another thing that I really like about those skill checks is it will let you, there's all kinds of skills in this game that will like let you apply bonuses mm -hmm. to your different skills. And if you're in a skill check and you have an ability that would give you a bonus, you can still like use it during the conversation. I think there's something that like a lot of games do where like, you get like locked into a conversation and you're like, well, OK, but I have this thing that would help me here. But I, the game just won't let me use it because I'm in this conversation. I really like that they have all of these things where it's like you can see very clearly, like, here are all of your options. Like, if you want to use any of these now, you can. Um, so I do really I, as someone who's like played a lot of this type of game and like that's in almost everyone like that's so annoying. It's, it's really cool to see that, like that's an option as well. Yeah, one of my favorite moments is I was I was in I was in the goblin camp and I was exploring and I found that they have a treasure room with basically <laughs> basically just like all this fucking treasure, but it's right by an area with a bunch of people. And so I <laughs> unlocked the door to the treasure, which alerted somebody and they came to like ask me something and they're like, "Oh, it seems like some people are fucking around in here. Like, what's that what's that about? Is that you?" And then I'm basically just like, "Oh, 
I have no idea. This is so weird. Let me just like hang out here and make sure everything's okay for you. <laughs> and then I like pass the skill check and they're like, okay, seems all cool to me. And then they just left. And then I just robbed the treasure and I just left the, the goblin camp. Yeah. Let me just watch all this gold for you. Yeah, I messaged you the other day and I was like, I'm so Baldur's Gate pilled. This game, this game yeah. rocks. I'm absolutely going to spend like so much time in this game and maybe never finish it. Yes, which is tradition with Larian games for me. Yeah, I can already, it's got its, it's going to get its hooks in me so bad. Like I'm probably going to play like the rest of the night. I want to try multiplayer with you because I've never played the Larian yes. games multiplayer. I never have. We should definitely do it. But another thing on that, like, the the characters is i really like and a lot of games do this but i think they kind of chicken out of it um your choices will impact who joins you and like who how they feel about you like there was a part early like in the early access bit where i think you're um there's like a, a group of tieflings that you can choose to either help or like not i forget exactly the specifics but there's one character in your party who like fucking hates tieflings or who can be in your party and if you choose to help them she's just like well go fuck yourself then like i'm not gonna roll with you and it's just cool to be like that i think those are the aspects of embracing tabletop mm -hmm. stuff that really appeal to me where it's like we just use the term rpg to mean like you have stats which is just a different thing entirely whereas this does feel like it makes you like play the role like if you are playing the kind of person who makes these decisions and has these priorities then these other people don't have a reason to be with you so it's i think that's the the elements of role playing that, that are really appealing where it's like consequences for your actions and like internal narrative consistency and like you know the kind of like choice and playfulness that come with that i don't know i think it's really appealing to me that i can't like or at least the game will push back if i try to cheese my way through it I also like it because it feels like you're actually meant to kind of pick something and stick to it and play how yeah. you want, as opposed to a game that's kind of like, you can just collect everybody or do everything if you play it the right way. Like you're gonna lose some companions because they just won't like the way you do things. And that is something you have to like be okay with um, mm -hmm. because some people will like if you do more combat than if you like go about things very... uh like judiciously, like trying to talk your way out of things. So it's really fascinating for me because like I like being able to have a character who can talk their way out of situations and is very charismatic and can do deception and persuasion. That's just what I like. So that's how I am going through this game a lot. But coincidentally enough, Shadowheart, that's what she values also as a character is she mm -hmm. likes to talk her way like out of situations. She very much um, doesn't prefer combat. So inherently, the way I like to play has endeared Shadowheart to my character. But at the same time, it's actively making another party member not like me. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I know this character is going to leave me at some point and I'm just going to have to be OK with it, which is also difficult but because it's like well they're actually one of the more upfront fighters which as a bard i have to like stay back so i yeah. need characters who can go up there so it's like it's a loss in combat if this person leaves me but there's so many different like you have to weigh everything and i really it, it, i really enjoy that this game is like actually just have your own adventure i'm, I'm very curious to see how far it goes mm -hmm. with those things the thing that i always think of in comparison when i'm when i'm thinking about this idea of like games that like 
make you live with your choices and like take them into account in the narrative is a game that we played together once, uh, Wildermyth. Yes. I think is one of the best games ever at doing that exact thing. Mm -hmm. Literally, you can make certain choices in dialogue and end up losing a limb and then you just can't use a two-handed weapon anymore like things like that like there you can make choices that like impact your character like on both a narrative and mechanical level that will just follow through until the end of the game and i think like the courage to make a game that like makes you change your your path based on those choices is really really appealing i don't think that Baldur's Gate is going to be like quite as extreme as that, but I am interested to see like how far they take that concept mm-hmm. of making those choices matter. I still think like Baldur's Gate is kind of too big of a game. Like it still it still wants to have enough mass appeal that like it probably wouldn't do that. But I'm curious to see how far they push that stuff. Because even though, you know, they are working with like Wizards of the Coast and whatever on this like license thing and like need to be careful of that, I think they are pretty, I don't know, principled as designers. Like they they do kind of like they want to take these things to their conclusion. So yeah, I'm just very curious to see how that plays out. Uh, since I just invoked Wizards of the Coast, I did just remember there's like two other pieces of news very quickly that came out this week. It looks like you haven't heard either of them. I don't know you're what you're talking about, Squinting really. quizzically at me. So one of them, uh, these haven't been revealed yet, but you know how Magic the Gathering does like their, like, they'll do like themed cards? Yeah. With, like, sets with the collaborations and stuff like, like they, they did, did the lord of the rings one the lord of the rings was like the big one that was recently they just announced two new ones okay two new upcoming sets one of them is based on assassin's creed which is so bizarre and the other one is going to be based on final fantasy and no fucking way that one's kind of exciting i, I haven't played magic mm-hmm. forever and like i've talked a lot about my issues with wizards of the coast but as long as they're not like these uh, they might end up being these like crazily expensive cards that no one can afford to buy if they're like reasonable though i might depending on the art like the final fantasy one's probably gonna be i was gonna say the art i bet is gonna be killer they should i'm sure they will because i'm sure they're smart but like man they should get yoshitaka amino to like do a card or two yeah that would be amazing oh man yeah i feel like there's so many artists who like they cut their teeth as like final fantasy fan mm-hmm. artists like there's they're gonna have so many choices for illustrators they should have a yishtola card exciting. oh my god they should have a yishtola deck um <laughs> the other the other thing that came out though was in their newest source book they released some of the art that's going to be in it and people on twitter pretty much instantly realized that some of the art was ai generated oh my god and called out Wizards of the Coast, who were like, oh, yeah, um, one of the artists we commissioned used AI, and we didn't know. There's, we couldn't have possibly known. <laughs> How could you uh, tell? We've been working with this person forever, so we're going to make them promise that they're not going to do this again in the future. Pinky swear. Yeah, exactly. Also, the people pointed out, like, the artist in question... If you look at like their Twitter or whatever, they've been posting AI art like forever. Mm-hmm. Like this was not like a secret. Oh, they like they this is the first time they'd ever done this, and like it's no one could have expected it. It's like if Wizards of the Coast didn't realize they were using AI, it's because they weren't checking at all. Like y- y- I mean, I've like I know people who've done art for for Wizards of the Coast, and it's like it is a very involved process. <laughs> like they 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 don't just like 
take whatever comes in. Like it's, there's no way this could have gotten through without them noticing. It just seems like they were kind of letting it slide or like testing the waters because they've also talked about adding like AI features to D&D Beyond, which is their like online D&D platform. So it very much feels like they got caught when they didn't expect to and then kind of tried to backpedal, but then didn't even have a very good excuse for it, which is just, I don't know. It's just such a weird thing to be playing Baldur's Gate and like so excited for Mm -hmm. it when any actual D&D related thing is just so fucking poisoned right now by the company that owns them. I wish they would hand the tabletop game off to better designers at this point too, like they did with the video game. Yeah. I don't know what their deal is. Which is the coast is always in the news, just fucking up shit. They just like they do nothing but fuck up. It's really, it's really wild. Yeah. Um, and it's I don't know. I guess they get away with it because D and D is like the biggest tabletop game that exists. Like it's also why they get away with a lot of bullshit about how they treat like their designers and artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I, I don't know. It's it's always kind of stunning to watch like how long someone can fall down a flight of stairs without trying to correct it at all. They just keep making basically the same mistakes over and over because they know they can get away with it, yeah. I guess. You can play other tabletop games. You should play other tabletop games. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know you've been moving, so I don't really know what else you've been up to, if anything, but... Have you been doing stuff in the past two weeks? Since I've been moving, I can't really do any any other time-consuming thing. Uh, but what I can do is listen to podcasts while I pack things up. Uh, and so I just want to shout a couple things out. Like we, we just mentioned you should play their tabletop games. I was just thinking about that because I've started re-listening to Friends at the Table, mm-hmm. um, which is great. If you've never listened to it, it's the best actual play podcast like it, it just is uh there, there is no competition they've they started with uh dungeon world with like a, a season that they kind of returned to that setting again and again but they've also played a ton of other games especially in their sci-fi games they have played like so many different games like so it's it's a really good podcast to listen to if you're into actual plays or want to get into them but also if you want to get into a more like kind of diverse array of tabletop games because it's a great way to like get a preview of these games and like how they can play out. They've played uh, A Quiet Year, which is maybe my favorite tabletop game. Uh, they've played a bunch of stuff that's just fantastic. But I I also wanted to, ca- to shout out, I wanted to actually shout this out during Pride, but whatever, we can be gay any time of the year, so we can call it out now. The podcast You're Wrong About, which I've mentioned before, has like a few different episodes that I wanted to mention if you're interested in kind of like the intersections of like queer history and politics and stuff. And I'm going to talk about these in descending order of trauma. So I'm going to start with like the most uh, crushing one and move on to the most celebratory one. Um, What do you know about Kitty Genovese, Willa? Uh, A bit, quite a bit. Kitty Genovese was murdered right outside her apartment, her apartment building. And that Nobody came to help her, even though a lot of people said that they heard. And it's Mm -hmm. a bystander effect. That's the thing. It's this idea that it's a key example of the bystander effect. However, the reality of the story is this has been like, there's so much information that is neglected about this. Some people actually did try to help. On top of that, they the most of the time when they talk about this, they ignore the fact that Kitty Genevieve was a queer woman. Yes. But yeah, so I I know a fair bit about her. Yeah. Yeah. So that last part is 
kind of why I'm bringing this up in this bit, because yeah, it's, it's you're wrong about kind of debunks these historical myths. And within the first like 10 minutes of the episode, they realized like Kitty Genovese was a lesbian, mm-hmm. which is something that's always left out of these stories. And the reason that like, one of the reasons that people didn't call the cops is because of the person who like was in the best position to do so was also gay and knew that if he called the cops, he would have just been abused more by them, like the, that the cops would not have helped. And I think it's just like a prime example of the way that n- not discussing sexuality and and leaving those details out and and not considering the ways in which society treats queer people differently from straight people means you can come to some completely wild and incorrect conclusions when if you just acknowledge the fact that she was queer and took seriously like what that means and all of its implications this is a very different story than the one we've been told so that's kind of the like most downer of them next one i want to recommend is uh they did an episode on the stonewall uprising which is a really complex episode in the way that it like complicates the story that we've been told uh the idea of like who threw the first brick is like a, a question that is like not nearly as settled as some people like to think. The idea of like what the Stonewall was, what it represented to people at the time, is very different from what the kind of common narrative is. And then like the idea of what the the gay rights movement was after Stonewall is very different. Who was allowed in? Like the two of the key figures who were talked about a lot in, in relation to Stonewall, and, and two people who are kind of proposed as the you know the person who quote unquote threw the first brick are Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, both of whom are trans women of color. And like the actual reality is that like trans people and people of color were often excluded from trans rights movement, especially early on, like still today, obviously, but even more so early on. Um, And there's also this idea of like, we actually don't know exactly what happened or who threw the first brick. And it gets a lot into this idea that like, instead of trying to figure out like who is this emblematic figure and like insert these important figures in the gay rights movement into this one story that we acknowledge the thing that might be more important to do is to look for the stories where trans people and people of color and other folks who are left out of this narrative where they actually are central so rather than trying to rein them into this one story we have expanding how we think about the gay rights movement to include those people and the things that they actually did and that we can prove that they did there's like they talk about very briefly like the there's a the Compton Cafeteria Uprising, which happened before Stonewall, where a bunch of trans women of color who were all sex workers basically like started a brawl with the cops at this like diner that was trying to kick them out. And it's just such a fucking cool story that like no one ever tells. So that's like one more step up the ladder of like being more celebratory, but also like very complex and very, very thorny. Uh, and the final one I recommend is uh, about Disco Demolition Night. This events where like a bunch of people were invited to like destroy disco records which was like a i don't know everyone hated disco in the, in the seven like toward the end of the 70s uh, and that's kind of more revealing that like again it was it was like homophobia and racism that that uh led the charge against disco more than the music itself uh and the episode talks about that but it's also the most celebratory of them like they play a lot of disco it's just a lot of talk about like the early disco scene and how it was this place for uh people who weren't accepted otherwise to to like express themselves so that's that's the order i'd recommend listening to them <laughs> like start with kitty genovese get really sad and then work your way up to the disco demolition night and be like yeah actually like our people fucking rule and this is great so yeah that's my very long-winded recommendations for this week 
But uh, have you had time for anything other than making hot tieflings this week? Yes, I've actually been playing quite a few games, but there's one game I specifically wanted to talk about because, Mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, a game comes along and within the first (laughs) minutes, you just know that it's special because it's one of the worst games you've ever played. (laughs) So I'm here to talk about that game, which is Stray Gods. And why I hate it so much. <laughs> so excited. So I've known about this game for like a year at this point. This is oh, this. is So the official title of it is Stray Gods, a role playing musical, which I don't know how much we've actually talked about this on the podcast, but I like you know this about me mm-hmm. and Zoe. Uh, mm-hmm. I love theater, <laughs> love theater like you know, I've been in New York for several years and seeing theater is something I do a lot. And I, you know, I've studied about theater a lot. It's one of the things I love on top of loving video games. Like these are my two favorite art forms, probably. And I've written a lot about this before, about how like how the art forms can like interact and how they've inspired each other. So just to like lay down the fact that like I kind of know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about theater and video games, uh, Robin can see in, in my apartment, we have these two giant frames and they're just filled with playbills. There's 50 of them. Mm-hmm. And that's not even all the playbills we have. I've been told that these are the best and worst plays you've seen. They are the best and worst plays and musicals we've seen. So because it's fun for conversation. OK, so Stray Gods attempts to be or bills itself as a role playing video game that is also a musical. It's designed by a one of the former lead writers of Bioware who worked on Dragon Age. And it's made by a studio called Summerfall Studios. Number one that we need to get out of the way is that they should have hired anybody who could actually sing. <laughs> if you're going to make a game that centers on music, mm-hmm. the people who are doing the music need to be able to sing. Except that the lead character is voiced by Laura Bailey, who, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to, I'm going to say this outright here. Everybody involved in this video game are pretty talented voice actors. Like these are, they Mm -hmm. have high pedigree. They've been in a lot of stuff. They've won awards. They're good voice actors. Good singers, they are not. Good musical performers, they are most certainly not. And Laura Bailey is the worst amongst all of them. And she's the lead I cannot stress enough how bad she is. And I'm so sorry, but it's so true. Oh, God. So we can't let any critical role fans listen to this episode. Troy Baker is going to personally kill me because he is also (laughs) in this. And I know what people will say. Troy Baker has been in a band. Yeah, well, he doesn't have professional musical training. Also, the style of music he's trying to perform does not work in this, which this leads me to another thing. We need to talk about the actual music of this game. When you're doing a musical... The oft recited like theory behind a musical is that in a musical, the reason people break out into song is because their emotions have become so much that they can no longer talk. They must sing about them. Songs are the most important part of a musical because they say the most about a character. It's them working through major plot beats. It's where character development happens. It's where story progression happens. None of the songs in Stray Gods are important. They, they don't actually impact the story or move anything along. So they're all pur- like purposeless. Also, none of mm. them are good. They are all very like none of them are 
memorable. None of them are interesting. None of them lyrically makes sense. Like none of the lyrics actually feel like they're relevant to what is happening in the story. It's just a lot of nebulous metaphors that kind of don't make sense. And one of the flaws of this is because like the big gimmick of the game is that during songs, you're allowed to like choose the next thing you sing. Um, and you get to choose like the style mm -hmm. of how you sing. So somebody will sing at you and then you just say like, I want to sing like a punk rock version now to like go back at them and you sing it. And this leads to a bunch of things where none of the songs feel cohesive because you can just change up the style. So you'll go from like an operatic ballad to somebody trying to sing a rock song and it is so disjointed. But then also on top of this, because none of the songs are like a singular thing and you can choose how you do them, they can't actually be relevant to the story because you have to be able to choose how you do it. Basically what happens is, which this is also, there's so much going on in this game and it's really stupid because like none of it actually means anything. The whole premise of this game is that it's a murder mystery. Although by the end of the game, they kind of throw the murder mystery out and they're like, oh yeah, it was this person anyways. <laughs> so like everything you do up to that point is also irrelevant because they just kind of throw it all out and you, they just reveal everything. And that it's so stupid. It's so wild. Uh, but the way it happens is you go to somebody to talk to them, learn information, and they tell you all the important information or they'll tell you like their character and like what their connection is to this. And they're very impassioned. And then after they do all the work, they will sing. And all the singing is either just saying what you've already learned through song or it's completely irrelevant. So none of the songs are actually doing what a song needs to do in musical theater. So there's no point to them. None of the songs have a point. Ah, it's so frustrating. And here's what yeah, also is the problem. <laughs> the problem is also is that you can you can tell that it was designed by someone who worked at Bioware because you go to talk to people. You'll have a couple dialogue options and you kind of just like you can go to everybody and just like cycle through their dialogue. But there's no meaningful mm -hmm actual discussion because this isn't a massive RPG with actual impact on the world. So having dialogue options feels irrelevant. Technically, there are multiple endings, but it doesn't feel like they matter. And so basically what you're left it with is a game that should be a visual novel, essentially, but it refuses to and it gives you meaningless choices. Mm -hmm. Like there's a really stupid part where you're essentially given a week to like prove that you didn't do the murder. And it's like, oh, you should go talk to Pan or Apollo. And then it puts you on a map of like the town. And it's like, go, do, do you want to go to Apollo? And you're like, yeah. And then it's like, okay, click on it. And then also click go to confirm that you want to go. And I'm like, the thing is, I'm going to have to do all of these things anyways. Like I don't, it's not like choose one or the other. It's just, you will do all of these so there's really no purpose to adding this layer of like an illusion of actual choice. It should have just been a well-written visual novel that then goes into songs. Although the songs do need to be interactive, but they failed at doing that. There's a there's an, a, another element that is really disappointing, which is the music is done by Austin Wintory, who uh, the thing that like I know him from mostly is that he did Journey, um, which yeah. is a big deal. It got him a Grammy nomination. <laughs> The score for this game is incredibly uninteresting and uninspired. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because Austin Wintry succeeds at making these like 
emotional scores that reflect kind of the vibe of a game. Whereas for this, they're supposed to be like emotional elements of when there's song happening, they should be exciting. And Mm -hmm. it all feels incredibly boring. The best moment is when near the end of the game, you're introduced to a character who is voiced by Anthony Rapp, who Anthony Rapp is a Broadway veteran. He um, Mm. he's the original Mark in Rent. Um, He also plays that role in the movie. So if you've ever seen the movie, then he's Mark in Rent. When he shows up, it's a it's ridiculous because he he does one song, but he does the song and you're like this is what the game should have been the entire time. Uh-huh. And he blows everyone out of the water because he knows how to express emotion through song while doing an interesting performance. And nobody else knows how to do that. And then he just leaves. It's a bummer. And legitimately, by the end of the game, the biggest disappointment is the fact that. You know, I'm very mad about this game because I think the idea has potential. And I think one of the things that they should have done is they should have just actually hired people who actually had the capability to like do this like Mm -hmm. i don't think it would have been hard to just get some people who have like broadway experience there is one other person who has broadway experience i forget exactly which cast member it is and there are like some people that do an okay job with what is honestly terrible material like i don't think anybody could do much with it because the songs themselves Mm are horribly written If you had hired people who had like Broadway experience, maybe that would have helped. And they needed to hire someone who knew how to write musical like songs because there's a certain style that that takes and how to like communicate information. And they just don't know how to do it. And like as much as I seem very impassioned about how I think this game is terrible, which I do think it is. Overall, this game is like five to six hours and legitimately what what I felt the majority of the time was insane boredom. Mm. It's not even terribly bad the majority of the time. It's just so exhausting and boring because songs are not exciting to go through. Dialogue feels like a chore. And also by the end of this, none of what you do feels like it matters. Like it doesn't feel like characters have changed very much. It doesn't feel like you get an explanation for a lot of things. It's just unexciting. And I think they try to rely a lot on the star power of their cast and also their art style, which is heavily inspired by things like The Wolf Among Us, the comic book series Wicked and Divine, which they're also cribbing the plot of, and the musical Hades Town specifically, they're also cribbing a lot of the like aesthetic of. And they rely a lot on that. So yeah, this is, I think this game is garbage. This is one of those things where it's like, this is a good idea. And I'm happy that somebody had this idea. The issue is, is that the entire creative team behind this had none of the like background to know how to actually accomplish it. Like the creative director, who is the guy who was a writer at Bioware, he doesn't have musical experience. He doesn't know how to write for musicals. It's a completely different talent. The one person that they have who has like musical experience was a producer for like music, but like bands and stuff. Mm, She never worked in musical theater. So even though it was a good idea, like I think it was kind of doomed from the start because none of the people that came together to make it 
had an understanding or experience with the medium that they were trying to emulate. Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit when we mentioned it on the next fast episode was like, it is a really cool idea. And maybe like the next person who takes this idea and runs with it will have a better version of it. You know, it's it's that thing of like, you always like to see people taking big swings and trying something totally new. This just like wasn't the group of people who should have taken this particular swing, you know? Well, I'm sorry you had to spend so much. Actually, no, I mean, congratulations. You got to do your favorite thing. Yeah, I know. Which is talk shit on I legitimately game. have been excited to review this game though because it felt like yeah. it felt like the perfect game for me like as someone who loves yes. theater and loves video games I was like oh I'm gonna go fucking crazy I haven't I'm written so my review at the time of recording this so I hope the review comes out well <laughs> yeah too well thanks for bearing with us as we took a break and coming back to listen to us absolutely not actually learn from our break uh, you can listen to Girl Mode anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us at various social medias. We will have our link tree in the description. You can follow me on social media at The Willow Row. You can follow me at Robin Bombas. And this week, I will remember to put the link tree in the show notes, which I'm just realizing I don't think I did last week. That's fine. You live in your learn. A musical, a musical. There's nothing as amazing as a musical with song and dance and sweet romance.